Oh my god, that countdown timer is way too long. Hey guys! Hi! <laughs> what up? Hi, so my name is Renee Yan. I am in as the host for today's episode of Real Asian Podcast. Ray couldn't be here, wanted to be here. Maybe he just was feeling sick or hungover. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's a Ray thing. But I'm happy to be I here. <laughs> I'm happy to be here with my co-host, Baldwin. Welcome back, Baldwin. Thanks for having me. What's up, y'all? And also, we have a special guest, not your average Mai. Uh, we have Monica. Hey. And Liz. Hello. <laughs> so uh, before I go in and introduce Monica and Liz, uh, Baldwin, you didn't actually get a chance to uh join us for our shang chi episode i know it's been a busy last few months for me i've I've been like missing out on so many uh podcast episodes but i was actually moving that weekend um because the weekend afterwards i actually got married so Yay, wow congrats make it. <laughs> thank you thank Yay. you Woo. yeah a lot of stuff has been happening the last few months well i'm so i'm so so glad that you could be able to join us today so, turning it over then to our guests, uh, Monica, why don't you tell us a little bit about Not Your Average Mai? Awesome. Thank you, Renee. And thank you, Baldwin, for having us today. Um, hi, everybody. My name, my full name is actually Bunch from Blight, Monica Lee. Um, I am among American women like Renee herself, originally from St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm one of the co-founders and co-hosts of the Not Your Average Mai podcast, Um I'm here joined by my sister, who's also one of the co-founders and co-hosts um, of the podcast. And Not Your Average Mai is really uh, a podcast about um, important everyday issues from the Hmong perspective, um, particularly for Hmong American women. And our hope and dreams and visions is to just move our community forward one conversation at a time, right? Um, you'll see on our website, visit us at www.notyouraveragemai.com. Um, that we sometimes have constructive bitch fests. Sorry, you can edit that. <laughs> sometimes we may be preaching to the choir, right? And every month, you know, our hope is to dive into politics, social issues, pop culture, and all things related to being Hmong American, being Hmong woman, and all the fun stuff in between. So thank you so much, Real Agent Podcast, for having us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, Monica. And honestly, um, you know, I kind of approached uh not your average my probably six months ago or so to do some sort of collaboration we actually did an episode swap so if you haven't had a chance to check it out please do it is still relevant today they were going over about the coronavirus covid19 um some facts we are still being re recording this right now yes <laughs> recording this right now in october 20th 2021 we're still in the middle of the pandemic so and the big thing today is actually um the fda announced that um they would approve boosters for uh the j and j and the moderna vaccine so yes that is a big That's news sweet. the episode is still very usable if you want to explain how this kind of vaccine works in Hmong. yes yes very important. Um, it's really amazing to be able to have uh, advocates from the community being able to actually have information that's relatable um, and accessible in other than English. You know, this is a global pandemic, right? So uh, thank you for that. So the way that Monica and actually and I met was actually through Facebook. We did, uh, they, we actually have a Facebook group called Mong Bay Area. 
uh the name whatever but uh i can't even re- monica do you remember who what was it you who reached out or i reached out i can't even remember now it's been so long even though it's only been like two three years two year, yeah yeah um, exactly and i think it was actually you renee who was like kind enough to reach out after i posted in the group that That's i what it was. knew to the area and then renee and i actually had lunch at the super good lao place in um sf Right on around Market Street. Yeah, it was super good. Wait, Um, was it Lao Table? Yes. Yes. Dude, I just went there uh, yesterday for lunch. It was amazing. Yeah, it's super good. We we actually went for lunch. Um, And yeah, Renee has just been super helpful and super kind to collab with us, invite us, and, you know, continue the community work that she she does. So super. No, thank you. Oh, my gosh. Yes, well, you know, we could also have a total different like spin-off podcast just about food. Um, so you know, <laughs> I know does one exist yet? Maybe we should start another one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, but we are here today to talk about Shang Chi. So, uh, for those who haven't watched the movie, what are you waiting for? You know, one of the biggest things about Shang Chi is like this is the first Marvel movie to feature an Asian American superhero. And not only that, the writer, the director, producers, um, actors, uh, just all across the board, many of them being Asians or Asian Americans themselves. So, you know, this was a pretty big monumental Hollywood Marvel, uh, you know, universe kind of introduction for the, our Asian brethren and sisters. So pretty happy about that. So first off, I'm going to go ahead and ask you guys something that you loved. What's something that you loved about the movie or liked? If it's not that strong, but still pretty, pretty up there. I can go first. Um, I think just for, I guess, like as a, as a disclaimer, <laughs> um, I feel like I think I can talk about the movie, but also like not as like a true Marvel fan. So I just want to share that limitation totally. in the very beginning. Love it. Um, because I think some people, right, like go into this, like with a basic understanding that like, I'm not quite there. Um, because for me, right, um, my favorite part is like all the forms of love that you can find, mm. like through the movie, right? Like the romantic love, the like friendship love, the sibling love, um, that parent child relationships. So we talk a lot about relationships in our podcast. Um, so I'm sure this is something that's going to come up. Um, you know, and then also, right, just like friends, um, like what we owe each other as strangers, you know, um, when you think about like the bus scene. So. Nice. Thank you. Any one particular love scene that you really enjoyed? Obviously, when the parents met. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, like, oh, my God. Me too. They're going to like, sure. that's mom and dad right there. Plus we'll talk one. more about that later. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Awesome. Okay. How about you, Monica? Um, wow, Liz is so poetic. I don't even know how to follow that. But <laughs> okay. Can I start with my leave it? This might be very controversial, but I feel like we could have left Aquafina out. Oh. <laughs> we can talk more about that. Okay. And what I loved most, I think, actually were the kids. Um, even though they didn't get a lot of screen time, I feel like they brought so much, especially the little boy. Obviously, it featured him a lot more than the the little girl, you know, who played the sister. But I think they were like one of my favorite parts, um, just seeing them cry and like doing everything they could to like make their dad proud and like, you know, be the tough guy that he wanted to be. Right. Or yeah. that their dad wanted him to be. Um, totally. And I think youth are often overlooked in the movies. Um, you know, who's paying attention to the kids. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
All right. Well, I mean, to start it off, can I just say, like many other people, I've been starving for a Marvel film on the big screen. And, you know, I mean, the TV show is really good and I like Black Widow. I thought that was cool. But to watch like a big budget Marvel movie on the big screen is just something else. You know, it sounds a little bit cheesy for me to say, but I was really proud walking out of that theater. I felt satisfied. I was like content. I was even like inspired a little bit too, because mm. there's just something, I guess, like sensational sitting in a movie theater, feeling this excitement, knowing that I'm about to watch this Marvel film and then seeing someone that looks like me or someone like me on the screen. Yeah, it brought up feelings for me as I was watching it and throughout the movie when I was seeing themes familiar to me like the very complicated family dynamic and the pressure and responsibility, the sort of identity crisis that Shang-Chi was going through. Going back to the, the love it, I think for me, I love the way that they gave the villain this very intricate backstory that was actually like really interesting. I thought it was really cool how they dedicated the entire first 10 minutes to just his backstory. Oh, yeah. It showed us like he wasn't just in the movie to just be a villain. He was an actual character and a human. And they tried to make us empathize with him, which I appreciated. And it was definitely just refreshing to see because you don't get that a lot in Marvel movies. Um, with the exception to Black Panther, villains are just bad and there's not much else to them, right. right? So I definitely appreciated that they dedicated so much to fleshing out his character, um, especially since he's an Asian character, to get us as an audience to understand him more, like his history and his motivations. And uh, I think it really contributed to the overall story a lot. Uh, Baldwin always drops such amazing nuggets. Um, <laughs> yeah. So really grateful to hear a lot of that. Um, I, I I agree. I definitely tend to agree with what Baldwin says, as, but especially just like that aspect of being able to have Asian protagonists and antagonists who are multidimensional. Totally. And Wenwu, uh, Tony Leung's character, definitely had that. And I, I think it was well deserved. You know, it's it's interesting actually to see that as well, uh, especially in the especially in Marvel cinematic cinematic universe, where uh, yeah, typically you know, good and evil, there's no shades of gray there, right? Yeah. So it's always just like black and white, and a reflection of looking at Black Panther as one of those where it's kind of like you see the uh, the ability to see Killmonger as someone who who's multidimensional I mean, right can i chime in and also add i feel like this is a common theme we're seeing in a lot of the movies now maybe disney movies specifically mm -hmm. with featuring the backstory of the villains with like you know krilla deville um maleficent and i actually loved those movies too and thought oh you did you know there were a lot of like i guess empathy given mm -hmm. and nuance given to the characters but we can talk about that in a different episode i'm sure <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate that Disney is doing this, I guess. Like you can see that in their their animation ones too, like when Raya for an example, right? Mm. And I know that Raya is controversial yes. into in the, you know, Asian community, Southeast Asian communities especially, but what you can be able to see is that there is this multidimensional aspect of of the villains even. So, you know, I really really appreciate that. Okay. Undeniably, Shang-Chi has a lot of action. Tell me. What is your favorite fight scene? I think it's often forgotten too, but I loved the bamboo forest scene. Um, oh, of I think course. you talked about that, Renee or Liz, but yes. Right, when the parents met. When, right. when the parents met for the first time yes. and like the mom literally just like, you know, kicked his butt and was like, You don't belong <laughs> here. 
like GTFO, right? (laughs) It was still so sensual, so graceful, and so legit. Like, I don't know. I don't think it could have been better. It could have been done better. It was like beautifully done. Maybe it was just the scenery and cinematics. I don't know. (laughs) Definitely hands down one of the better scenes or better fight scenes. And then my second favorite fight scene was the bus scene, actually. Yeah. Wait. Why the bus scene? But I, I want to talk about this bamboo scene more, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to raise my hand, too, on that. So we could, you could go first, Liz. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I wonder what people think about it because, um, obviously, because, like, I'm a nerd. I read a lot about it, and it was so, like, you felt it. It wasn't just, like, right, like, oh, like, obviously, like, they're flirting, but you were, like, so excited. And, like, you know, like, it, it felt good. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, we, like... This is like Shang-Chi's parents, right? Like they're, they're like, this is the origin story. And like, this is where it all begins. Yeah. I mean, and I, I talked a lot about this at the beginning where there's so much love, but it's like very clear, like, okay, like they're totally flirting in the scene. And it's not just like, it's different than, um, Crushing Tiger, Hidden Dragon when they like float, um, you know, in, in, in the bamboo, it's like, could feel it and you could feel the tension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that was just me. I read that, like, you know, this was supposed to emulate, like, other kind of, like, wushu films, but um, yes, I just cared, like, oh, this was, like, really romantic, and it was very clear, like, <laughs> into each other. Yeah. I definitely feel like it had a lot of, um, what is it, uh, Ang Lee kind of feel, too, the, as far as, like, wuxia movies go. There was definitely this, this te- you know, palatable romantic tension, right? And I, I you know, I think they did, Dustin, uh, the, uh, director he did such a real he did a really good job it was basically a love letter to all other Lucia fantasy kind of movies right it was yes. great yeah. how about you baldwin what did you want to say about this um i would just want to continue that conversation i mean for me i i definitely agree with what all of you guys are saying it was one of the most beautiful scenes in the movie um the style of martial arts that they used was very artistic it was like tai chi mixed with wushu kung fu you know, even though it was a fight, it felt more like a dance, you yes. know, like yes. it looked like poetry in motion, right? Um, plus, they did like that whole little slow motion romantic stare while falling in love. Thing oh, my in gosh. The middle I of it, know, right? right? <laughs> oh. It was so Honestly, much. I think yeah. that's what captured the scene, right? Continue, Baldwin. I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah, sorry. It's we all good. You. Yeah. No, no. Well, it reminded me, like you said, of the Wuja. I should say that it felt kind of personal to me because... It reminded me of the Wuja Chinese dramas that I used to watch as a kid. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, China has this huge fantasy drama industry called uh, Wuja, and it stands for something like martial arts heroes. And they're about these heroes in ancient China that go on these adventures and fight in this fantasy style environment, um, very similar to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, it's a really popular genre in China. And I watched like a ton of these growing up. So I really appreciated seeing it in a Marvel movie. Which was so crazy, right? Like, okay, so we all saw it in a theater, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, was that your first time seeing a movie in the theater since the pandemic? It was like my second, I think. Because I was in Alaska at the time, so. Uh, <laughs> well, what? Oh, it was my first, I think. What was your first one? It was my first, too. Yeah, what was your first one then uh, that you saw, Monica? Um, I think... So I watched Snake Eyes in theater in Alaska. Oh, how's that? <laughs> I actually really liked Snake Eyes. I don't know oh, okay. why it got bad reviews, but I encourage the entire Real Asian podcast team to watch Snake Eyes. I mean, Henry right, Golding right. was great. 
again, we could save it for another day, but I think that was the first movie I watched in the theater. I can't remember now. Honestly, it's been so long. Yeah. And, and Baldwin, what was your first one that you saw? Um, so right when like the movie theaters opened up, I like went to saw a movie right away because just I love the whole theater experience. So I, I've seen, um, King Kong versus Godzilla. That was like the first one. And then I also watched Mortal Kombat <laughs> before. I was a little primed for Shang-Chi. Yeah, that's okay. There you go. But I think that's one of the things I was going to say was like, it was the first time for many of us, not all of us, obviously, but seeing the f- movie back in the theaters and, and, when walking in and knowing that it was going to be an MCU movie, but then the first 10 minutes were this Chinese fantasy kind of movie. It was like, whoa, this is a totally different film, right? I, it definitely set the tone for what everything was going to be. And, but it wasn't just, you know, that style throughout the entire thing. Right. But it definitely felt like a palate cleanse for me of like all the different like MCU stuff that we were just watching to then going into more modern time and, and all of that. So... You know, because it, you know, it, I love, I loved it actually. I love the way that they paced it out, and I thought the pacing was really good. There, it didn't feel too lull ish. You know, I watched it as part of um an Asian watch party. Oh wow, that's awesome! I well, we were in San Francisco, Baldwin and I, when we watched it with the, the rest of our crew. So pretty safe to say it was mostly Asians because <laughs> San Francisco. Yeah. It was <laughs> um, actually super packed too. Like I was surprised because the other movies I saw. They're like super empty, and this specific one it was like it was full of people. Yeah, well, people came out for MCU, so that's cool. Um, all right, and any other fight scenes that you guys really like? Oh, the sibling fight scene where she beats up Shang Chi. Yes. <laughs> where um, is it Munger? Right. Yeah, Munger. Mm-hmm. That's the actress. Yes. I mean, Monica and I are sisters, but we also have like two brothers and another sister. So I just appreciated that. And we can talk about this later where I think, I mean, I talked about this with the people who I went to see it with, where um, I think the movie should have been more focused on her. But mm-hmm. I love that she kicked ass. Absolutely. Um, so I think uh, Liz had actually had a question for you, Monica, earlier. Why, why do you like the best fight scene? I just think it was hilarious. Like the 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 tape recorder guy, the random oh. dude there. <laughs> tape recorder like, live streamer, you yeah, mean. Yeah, the live streamer. <laughs> sorry. I don't know why I thought tape recorder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not Gen Z or X, whatever. You're a millennial. You're older. Honestly, I think he made like, you know, most of the fight, but his commentary was great. It was on point. And I was not really... I think I was just wild because I wasn't expecting Sima Lu to be that impressive. Mm, Honestly, as sad as it sounds, I was really hoping just not to be disappointed, you know, when I walked out of the theater. So I think I set my expectations really low. Super low. (laughs) I just didn't know what to expect, right? Um, And that opening scene, I'm like, dude, he actually did pretty freaking good. And like, you know, he kicked ass. And I just thought it was, you know, really well choreographed. Uh, well coordinated and the commentary was like hilarious can i also say about that scene i appreciated how they actually filmed it in san francisco yes they did they didn't just say like it's in san francisco but then they filmed it in atlanta like they actually had like california street uh knob hill transamerican and like Ghirardelli square even though it's impossible to go to all those locations within like five minutes yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) for anyone who's actually paying attention there's no way they were that bus went that took that route to go see those other places they're like in totally different areas of of, uh sf 
I wonder if the tourism board supported them or sponsored them. <laughs> the, really? Okay. The SF tourism board. I don't know because, right, like to like hit all of those like landmarks, oh, right, oh, like yeah. as if you had to like go off a checkmark. Or oh, a I see. I see. So you're saying that it was a conspiracy that we <laughs> that they weren't allowed <laughs> to. <you know? laughs> I did hear they weren't allowed to use a real um, uh, metro bus, so they had to build yeah. it. Right. I mm. heard that too. Because they didn't want to have the metro bus or the muni bus like malfunction on <laughs> yeah. big screen. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> that is a really sad commentary on public transit. You guys, we have to fund public transit. Yes, we do yes. totally. But again, separate conversation. And yeah, I think that's true, Baldwin. And I think they were uh, the metro bus didn't want to be associated with the bus that broke it down or something. Yeah, I could have heard that online somewhere. Someone needs to fact check me. That is hilarious. Well, I mean, they did change the name, so it doesn't say, you know, uh, Muni on it. Uh, but yeah, definitely. That that is that is pretty funny. I mean, but all of the uh, what is it like the Lamborghinis and like the Teslas that were just getting uh, completely demolished by the by the bus towards the end of the scene too. That was pretty. I was like. Any other place, I think it would feel like it was um, uh, like made up. But yeah, you're definitely going to see a lot of sports cars in the, you know, racking up towards the millions just lined definitely. up on the street in San Francisco from all these people, these tech bros with all this money. Uh, <laughs> yep. And all those Teslas, that was pretty fulfilling to see them all get crushed. <laughs> just, just crushed. <laughs> yeah. About that scene in particular, um, it was actually choreographed the fight choreographer is actually someone from like the jackie chan stunt team oh. and so you can actually be able to feel the you know jackie chan has a signature kind of fight uh style where it's very you know comedic and and physical and like lots of different props and things like that right so you and it was definitely made to to have it so that as the fight continued to progress the the stakes got higher and higher, right? And you could be able to see that. So I, I you know, I think that's that's why it was featured in all of the trailers. Not all of it, obviously, but um, that's definitely one that I I love. I love to kind of rewatch whenever I can. Oh, cool! I didn't know that. Um. Okay. So, what are some of your favorite quotes from the movie? Okay. Um. Well, well, this came up um, right after we watched the movie, actually. There was a idiom that was said um, by Tony Leung's character. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's towards the end, and one of the the generals from Talo was like, he was basically like reprimanding him. He's like, the sins of your past would have destroyed this place. And mm-hmm. then Wenwu was like, be careful how you speak to me, young man. Um, and, and in the subtitles, it says like, I lived 10 of your lifetimes or something like that, right? But the actual idiom actually means... Um, I've eaten more salt than you have in, than you have rice in your entire life, which is like you wouldn't get it if you're, you know, just an American and don't understand the Chinese culture. But I think it really a popular like idiom in, in Chinese culture. Wow. Why couldn't they translate that? Because I feel like that <laughs> message is so lost. Well, so my my remedial Mandarin also told me that like a lot of the translations were not great because like there was, there were some nuances that like were definitely missed. So same thing with like the issue with um, squid games where I think like also haven't done translations myself. Like maybe there's like some uh, trade off between like speed and like expediency um, mm, where yeah. some of the nuance is like definitely left out. Right. Like in a lot of the scenes that were in language, which I know was also really important to um, the film, but 
Yeah, it's a little unfortunate because, like, if you don't have some, like, Mandarin background, you kind of, like, miss a little bit of that and you have to read it The real ones know, though. The real ones. Yeah, the real ones. <laughs> oh, th- that line is, though, is now that you've told us the meeting, Baldwin, I feel like so much more impactful than I've lived 10 lifetimes of yours. Like, Yeah, exactly. Well, it's interesting um, that you say that we actually brought it up in our last uh, episode, too. So it was, um, but it, it was definitely something where it's just kind of, like, the comparison of making it so that, well, one thing, I loved when he called the old general dude, like, young man. That was hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's really interesting that you say that, Liz, about, like, you know, having had experience translating and things like that. There is definitely nuance um, that gets missed when it's something that you're not a native speaker of. And so, or even just, like, casual speaker of, I guess. But, you know, I think there's also some interesting aspect of the fact that most of the movie, a lot of the movie was actually not in English. Yeah. Which I loved. Yes. I, I was going to ask, did you guys feel uncomfortable at all with that or no? It felt no. it was okay? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely felt natural. I definitely appreciated, um, like I said earlier, like the first 10 minutes, it was all in Mandarin. And then I think like a quarter of the movie, like they weren't afraid to just speak in Mandarin throughout. So I really liked that part. Yeah. I felt like, you know, similar to you, Baldwin, I think felt like I was just watching a movie like I did and when I was a child. And I'm sure Renee knows this too, but like there are hella Hmong dubbed videos yes. and movies, right? <laughs> and we would watch uh, a yeah. ton of Hmong dubbed, you know, Chinese fantasy epics yes. um, along with all the other like Bollywood K-dramas and Thai dramas, right? So like I was totally used to it. And Again, really impressed because I was not sure what to expect. So really appreciated them for that. Yeah. And I think for us too, I mean, like our parents, right, could, you know, read, write, speak English. And so we watched a lot of in-language films, right? Because our parents would just like read the English subtitles. And so um, this was like kind of like no different, which is why, I mean, like we also grew up watching like all like the Lucia like dramas and like films too. So it was it was very nice. It was very familiar in, in many ways. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I really, I do, again, I do appreciate, also just to plus one, the appreciation of it. I, I, I felt like our cultures were mainstreamed, but in an approachable way that, and you know what, actually, I'd love, love to go ahead and talk a little bit more about, about that in the later half of this episode. Uh, but yeah, I definitely felt like, weird to say, but I felt seen. All right. So interestingly enough, Tony Leung is someone who's actually been a part of uh, movie making for decades, but it was actually his first time coming into Hollywood. So I feel like there is there were a lot of people who are like, why is Tony Leung talking in English? But also for a lot of people, it was his very first <laughs> time even being being seen by a lot of the audience. So I wanted to ask. Were there any standout performances of any anyone? Um, and if you wanted to also just kind of talk a little bit more and fangirl over uh, Tony Young, um, opening the floor for you guys. Uh, I'm not going to fangirl, but I'm going to fanboy over Tony <laughs> <Yeah>. Young. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, we, we got to do a Tony Young appreciate, appreciation yeah, segment right here. Um, I felt like he was the star of the movie and his mm-hmm. ability to just command your attention with his presence. Yeah, I couldn't believe it was his first official Hollywood movie too, but he put on an amazing performance and he had sick fighting scenes as well. Um, I think what was really cool to see for me was his ability to convey his emotions without speaking. Yeah, I didn't know if you guys noticed it, but just the way he uses his eyes is really effective. Like 
you can see when he feels anger, love, and pain so well. Um, he has such like an allure to him. And I read somewhere that when Kevin Feige, the show, showrunner of Marvel, uh, met him, he was actually left speechless by him because of his presence and like his star power. And, you know, I was actually like really sad when he got his soul sucked out of him at the I end. Know. Cause I know. There's something you don't really see, right? I was like, "Oh no, Tony!" Oh, but but like it was it was really intense too, because you were like, "Oh my god, I feel it!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told all the other Asian boys who would listen, like, "I'm watching for Tony Leung. I am not watching for Simulu. No offense. <laughs> yep. I don't think he's that cute anyway. Sorry, hot take. <laughs> I was watching for Tony Leung. Okay, and so I appreciated like that GQ spread. And I was like, "Yes, yes. he's the one." I feel like. The thing with Tony Leung's eyes, because I didn't notice it before I read until I read those articles too. I feel like that's the reason why, like that bamboo scene is so powerful. There's no dialogue, and all the close-ups you can see his face, his like slight crinkle in his smile, and then just his like oh, smiles. Exactly, yeah. oh. it is done like perfectly. Yeah, so a thousand pluses to to that. Yes, and can I just tell you? So Fala Chen, who's the actress of the love interest, she actually had to have someone on set who would calm her down because she would get so lost in Tony Young's eyes. No way! No. Oh my god, I would too though. Who wouldn't? I would too. Who wouldn't? Yeah. I don't blame her. It was so funny. She was posting on social media about like how much she like loves and admires and like look and this like the way that she looks at him. And her husband was like, I wish she looked at me that way. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I read that and I was like, oh, but literally I want someone to look at me like Tony Leung looks at her. Oh like, my gosh. Yeah. Uh... Okay. So do you guys have any favorite Tony, Tony films then? Um, the first movie I saw with him in it was Hero with Jet Li. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to follow him after that. And I didn't know like he was so big back then. But then seeing his other movies with Wong Kar Wai, um, like In the Mood for Love in 2046. I'm, and then after watching this movie again, I was inspired to re- rewatch some of his old movies for sure. Um, but I think for me, definitely Hero because I've never seen him before. And he had such a presence. Um, that was like my favorite movie that he was in. Yeah, but because of this, and because of his, you know, breakout role, this breakout role in Hollywood, like, I think everyone, including myself, has been inspired to, like, watch all his old classics. Yes, yeah. Clearly, his previous work is, like, ten times probably better than... (laughs) No, exactly. Yes, I mean, it was really jarring to see him talk in English, but he's actually classically trained and was part of, did theater in, um, in the UK. So he that was like actually his first kind of roles in in acting were actually doing like Shakespearean stuff and interesting. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any uh what's what's your favorite Tony Leung movie, Renee? Uh yeah, my favorite oh gosh. Of course In the Mood for Love is like the number one, but I would actually uh pull back, you know, from that and say one of my other favorite ones from him is one that is actually not able to be released in theaters because it was a NC-17. <laughs> it's like, so crazier than R-rated. It's called Lust Caution. Yeah. And that one... Ang Lee, right? Yeah, Ang Lee. I've heard of that too. <laughs> okay. It's based It's based off of like a 15-page novella. It's such a small book and um, not even a book, but basically, it, you know, this Tony plays... Um, like a, a higher official 
And he is a mark uh, for these um, protester, activists, um, radicals. And so one of these girls um, is supposed to seduce him and be able to kind of, you know, get information out of him and stuff like that. And lots and lots of full sexual... (laughs) The gratuity is just in there. I was like, holy shit. (laughs) So if you want to see him um, in all his glory, uh, definitely go check out Less Caution. (laughs) But also, Ung Lee did such an amazing job directing it. So, you know, yeah. Um, Regarding that movie, I'm not ashamed to say I was a teenager when that came out. And I definitely watched it for all the the sex scenes and full frontal nudity. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, holy shit. It is a bit. It is. It is definitely worth the NC seventeen. Uh, so, <laughs> wait, were you seventeen, Baldwin, or no? No, no way. I was maybe like thirteen or something. Oh, wow, raging hormones. But we appreciate the honesty, Baldwin. It's all good. <laughs> you know, sex is cool. We're all adults. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hey, we're back. Okay, so you know we're gonna we're gonna dive a little bit more deeper into kind of like cultural aspects of this film, kind of a little bit more about just like our thoughts on the representation that was there or misappropriation. We'll see. So to start it off, I'd love to go ahead and talk about: Is this film a film of celebration or exploitation? I think I would offer can it be both but then also err on the side of i think it was a huge celebration um echoing what renee and baldwin said at the beginning um i had really low expectations and i was pretty impressed even beyond the low bar i set like you said baldwin impressive to have that asian representation asian writers asian directors really well thought out and like just a celebration of life and all the different like Asians, I guess, or Asian representation, Asian, Asian, Asian Americans, Asian Canadians, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how to say that, yes. right? All the Asians. But like, um, <laughs> yeah, because it was like kind of a global effort in the casting, but then also uh, appreciated, right, the the various levels, I guess, of, um, you know, exposure that uh, a lot of our Asian actors got. I don't know, but it can be both because I'm, I'm thinking like, did they do this because, like, you know, Simulu fit the role? Did they do it because, like, we just needed an Asian character and they threw it in, you know? Because, like, Liz, I'm not a Marvel fan. I've never heard of Shang-Chi. So I also thought was, like, is this going to be some other, like, <laughs> you know, stereotypical, like, Asian film? Right, yeah. yeah. And, like, yeah, appropriation of our culture. Um, But they did it tastefully well. Yeah, so I think um I thought they did very well. Um, given what they had. Um, but I, I, I wanted to comment on what Monica was saying about how it was like a celebration of like Asian Americans and like other people. But, um, I think it was very, um, uniquely like ABC, right? So there are articles about this, about how like this was the Asian American experience, like the Chinese American experience, right? Because, um, when we talk about the Mandarin, like their Mandarin was also accented and it was very like, it was really much like what you would hear um, from like Chinese American and like Asian American kids mm-hmm. um, versus like um, you maybe like what the parents spoke at the beginning. So it was a really nice like contrast um, if you can if you can pick that up. And so um, it was very Asian American. I think like a lot of people appreciated that, you know, and, and right like all the all the themes of like, um, you know, just family conflict and kind of like 
living up to like, you know, your parents or your dad's expectations, et cetera. Even their mom, right? Even people she passed because she left so much for them too. So that was there. But um, I, I actually um, thought it was like very uniquely American and like not Asian, right? You know, and this is why like Crazy Rich Asians was like a flop in China and it didn't, it didn't work. Um, and I, I think some people, even though, right, I know Baldwin said like this didn't play in China, like it probably wouldn't have done well in China either because um, it was so like Asian American. Does that make sense? Yes, but I just say I love Crazy Rich Asians, so <laughs> the haters. But because they're very distinctly Asian American stories, yeah. Um, and you know that, right? Because um, there was a piece about this too, where um, uh, Wen Wu like talks about like their name, and he's like, "Well, what's your name?" You know, to Aquafina, and but he doesn't talk about surnames, right? And so this article is like, "How can you?" be an Asian film and you don't talk about surnames because that's all we care about. Our family and our lineage and our ancestors. Like, this is so Asian American because you'd be like, yo, what's your name? And be like, oh, my name is like such and such, right? And you don't talk about your family lineage. Yeah. It, well, it's funny that you say that because it, at any Hmong gathering, especially weddings, um, funerals, that's actually one of the first questions. You don't even ask, like, what your first mm-hmm. name is. They ask, like, oh, you know, what what clan do you belong to? You know, this is basically it. So, uh, personally, for me, I always felt like if someone was asking that, it was because they wanted to know if they could hit on me or not. But, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. How Same you- last name? Oh, okay. You're just my sister then. Yeah. Because in our culture, it's a taboo to date someone with the same last name. So, oh, exactly. Okay. Like what Liz said, surnames actually mean a great deal for Hmong people. <laughs> How about you, Baldwin? Did you feel like this film was a celebration or expectation? Well, you know, I know what you mean, Monica, when you say it can be both. Like, you sort of think, was this movie Marvel's version of virtual, virtue signaling? Was it banking on the current political climate? Uh, but I'm going to lean more towards celebration. And I say that because of all the care that was put into integrating Chinese culture into the story. And it, it didn't feel like gratuitous, like they just inserted something just to appeal to Asians. Um, like you said, I thought it was done pretty tastefully. Um, and yeah, like we talked about before, from the very beginning of the movie, the entire intro was in subtitles and they weren't afraid to keep using it throughout the rest of the movie. Um, and another little tidbit I found was Tony Leung's character, Wen Wu, was completely retconned from the comic book character because um, originally... He was called the Mandarin, and it just fed into these racist and stereotypical tropes so much. I don't know if you guys remember this, but they actually made fun of it at one point in the movie where he tells a story. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He tells a story about. Afraid of the orange. (laughs) Yeah, the orange. Like how America appropriated him and changed his name to the name of a chicken dish. Um, So I thought the fact that they were able to make fun of the character's history was pretty cool. Um, they also changed the, the 10 rings from being just rings to, to iron rings, um, which are worn on the forearms, which are actually traditionally used in martial arts training to tr- to strengthen the, the arms and the fist. And I don't know if you guys have seen Kung Fu Hustle, but it was used in there. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The original Shang-Chi. The original. OG. Yes. Um, yeah, these are like, just like a few things I recognize, but when you research it, a lot more there there's a lot more stuff that's incorporated from Chinese culture but you know going back to why I think it's a celebration and what it means for I guess like Asian Americans I think it's a celebration because of its impact on the real world and how it makes very important strides in how Asians are portrayed in films and in pop culture in America you know Asian women they don't have to be sexualized they can be strong and independent 
and Asian men especially, they're often portrayed as nerdy, weak, meek, unathletic, which is the total opposite of Shang-Chi. Shout out to the gratuitous shirtless scene, by the way, that every Marvel hero has to has. Yes. <laughs> um, but for, yeah, a lot of adults and children, Shang-Chi was the first time they felt truly represented on a big screen in a film of this magnitude. Like, come on, Marvel, hey, that's a big deal. So it shows that there's still like a huge thirst for Asian stories because I think the prevailing stereotypes in Hollywood have asserted that Asian, Asian movies don't sell. That's obviously not true. Um, and this movie kind of shows that, yes, there's a huge thirst for Asian men as well. There's always been a thirst for Asian <laughs> men. There's always been there. <laughs> I know, but good. everybody knows it now. Yeah. No, okay, fine, fine. Everyone knows it now because because Marvel put Wuxia on the screen. But like us growing up with dub films, I was like, yes, we were always into Andy Lau mm-hmm. and Jimmy Lin and yes. all like, the really Absolutely. beautiful men from Asia. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I wanted to say, I thought, okay, Shang-Chi was super smart and witty too, right? Because he also talked about um, the terrorists, right? Like, like stealing his identity and taking his name. Like it was, it was just funny, right? Like um, when he would talk about that. And then this is why, right? The commentary about like the dude who was live streaming the film. Like I, I, I kind of liked it because they were kind of like, oh, we'll do subtle commentary on society, but like not really put it in your face. Mm -hmm. And then, well, I I wanted to also say, um, because I, again, like, I love the sister. I, I, I guess we can call her, uh, is it, uh, Xiaoling, but apparently she had different names in the comics. And I was kind of alluding to this earlier where, um, she like went through different character formations and she was a very one dimensional character in the mm-hmm. comic books, right? But like they did really well with her because they, you know, kind of like made her this like strong woman, et cetera. Um, but I didn't like it because they could have gone further and they didn't, mm. but I will give them props for that, which is why like appreciation, but like maybe like could have done better because he is so damn cool. <laughs> All right. So I want to go ahead and transition this into our next topic. Then who deserved more screen time from Shang-Chi? Um, I'm going to say the masked ninja, number one, I death think, dealer. <laughs> or yeah, uh, death dealer, like super dope. Um, I believe he is Vietnamese American and taught himself martial arts and like literally worked his ass off to get that role. So would hands down watch a spin off of him. Also, I feel like the mom, um, follows yeah. in, like, she was my favorite in like all of her scenes and I just felt like she also deserved so much more screen time. Of course, I know she had to die, but like, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I would watch her backstory and I want to know why did she change her heart and mind to welcome Tony and to like give up her powers for him, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's Tony. I know. But also, like, would, we do, would I ever do that? You know, like, is is the love so strong and powerful that I would give up my whole family and my superpowers, right? Um, it's crazy. Like, I would love to have a backstory on that. Because um, it was very quick. And I was just like, oh, you guys met? You fell in love? Like, but why? Like, you had so much power. Like, why would you give that up? Yeah. You know, you know something I noticed, too, um, about... Fala Chen, um, the mom, was that her her performance was really understated. And you're right, like she wasn't in it a lot. But it's it's interesting because like she was the, I felt like the emotional core of the film. Yes. Even though we don't really see her on the screen, like her presence is always felt, especially from her family, like Wenwu, Shang-Chi and Sha Ling, 
Um, and even when we get to Ta Lo, like they always reference her, like yes. her effect on the characters are pretty impactful. Yeah. And I think though that speaks to, right, just like how important our moms are to our lives, how underappreciated and underwhelming, like when we take them. But that's where I think the difference is like, I think she needs a backstory. Um, I don't think the sister does, but she probably deserved more time in this film, if that makes sense. Right. Um, I mean, cause like, I think the, the mom's screen time was like fine. Right. Cause she was there. And then I loved when like Michelle Yeoh, like just kind of like continued that. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause she was like, your mom knew she was going to die. And so like your mom asked me to do this cause she's, she's continuing this. Right. And I love that you said that her presence was felt throughout the whole film because she is right she's she's the driving force of the plot mm-hmm. right like she's she's the only reason why we have this like situation with the 10 rings yes um so so that's important like it's not she like was there even though she wasn't seen right i i love that you said that um but that's why she needs a backstory you know but i don't i don't really think Shelly needs a backstory i guess um, as much as i like her how about you baldwin character that deserved more screen time i'm gonna switch it up a bit and i'm gonna say Katie, not because I she deserved more screen that. time, <laughs> but I think she deserved a better storyline. Like, yes, I, oh, she did. I know they 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 tried to give her like a little arc to overcome her like lack of commitment, um, and what she thinks of herself. But it felt kind of flat, and she sort of became like an afterthought, um, deeper into the movie. Like, she, like she was comedic relief, but she was also supposed to be a grounding character for Shang Chi because, um, she's like the only normal one from his previous life in the situation. After a certain point, I felt like she was just there to be a supporting character to Shang-Chi, where there was more of an opportunity to give her more, like a more prominent role uh, than just a side character. But doesn't that mean they're just going to like continue the story later? Like it, it alludes that they're going to have a story later, yes, right? right? Like, yes. you know that. If we take her out, the story would have been okay, I feel like. So like, explain to me. What is this weird friendship like thing they have going on? I don't even know. Is that the epitome yeah, of all? Wondering about that no, too. No, because I feel like if they were just strictly friends, they should have just kept it that way, right? And, and like kept the comedic relief, right? Because I do think the like airplane scene with her and um, with Simulu was like pretty profound. That's what makes it like Asian American, right? Or American, like what Liz said. But does she serve any other value? Like, does she serve <laughs> any other purpose? And this goes back to what I said earlier. Okay, like, yes. I was going to ask you, Monica. Okay, if you didn't like Aquafina, who do you think it should be then? I don't know. I, I feel like it didn't have to be Aquafina though, because one, she has been in almost every Asian American movie now. So like, do we have yeah. to have Aquafina in every Asian American movie? <laughs> I get, like, maybe we didn't need a character at all. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it should have focused more on the sister or like, you know, like it was a weird dynamic to me, I feel like. And the whole, I, I and maybe that's why, because what you said is exactly right, Baldwin. Like her character just felt flat. And it, like, I feel like if we took her out, the storyline would have been fine. The movie would have been fine without her. But I'm not a movie critic. Obviously, <laughs> I sound like a hater. You know, love Aquafina and Other Rose. I know she's problematic in some senses mm-hmm. outside of her filming, but trying to be like objective here like do we really think she needs to be in all Asian and movies like that's what I <laughs> I knew people who didn't see the movie because she was in it like mm. so I'm I'm not about it but I just I I'm a hopeless romantic so I love that it sets it up for like future whatever <laughs> I'm all about the messy Monica knows this I'm all oh, about the complicated is, I'm so. all about the friendship you know because I think I feel I feel like 
men and women, male, female, um, however you identify, we can be platonic. We don't have to be romantic. And I feel like Marvel needs to stop pushing, you know, those romantic, like, arcs. But life gets messy. I'm all about platonic friends. I have my platonic friends, but life gets messy. I hear it. I mean, to add on to that, like, the the relationship between Katie and Shang-Chi was definitely ambiguous and, like, up in the air. Towards the in the beginning of the movie, I was cool with how they're really good friends um, and it didn't really force them to be together because it shows that the guy and girl, they don't have to be love interests. But then in the end, they cuddle up next to each other. So like, I'm like, are they together now? Are they it's still like friends? It's like awkward. I feel like the movie just like left it unresolved. But like you said, Liz, maybe they're setting it up for a future installment. Who knows? I mean, they definitely are, obviously. I mean, y'all saw the end credit scene, right? Exactly, right. But I'm like, ugh, cringe. I just, I just cringe. That's my <laughs> word, cringe. <laughs> well, I, um, I definitely hear where you're coming from, Monica. Aquafina does seem like she's hot shit and pretty much in everything now. Um, I, I for anyone who hasn't, who is boycotting Aquafina because of her problematic kind of uh exploitation of of you know black culture um i would say you know the the farewell is probably the best movie of hers that that i've seen that does not exploit black culture um so definitely you know definitely give her a chance in that regard and and i agree actually it was there was this one of the interviewers i can't remember but during the press junket um asked aquafina like point blank uh can you address your problematic you know use of black culture she's like yeah we can definitely talk about it and said absolutely nothing about owning up to it so you know she she should have been better prepared for it should have said maybe apologized even for for co-opting it you know if it's a cosplay that she just kind of turned you know um you know i guess another word that is being used in culture right now is black fishing where basically, you know, you're you're kind of appropriating the black culture and then and but you can easily just kind of take it off or, you know, um, and a lot of it's for monetary gain, right? Whether that's entertainment wise or whatever. So, you know, I think that's definitely something you, you can still hate her or like her and still be critiquing of her. Right. And I think that's fair. That's totally fair. Right. Um, Actually, you know what? I want to go back to one of the things that Baldwin brought up the about the film not being released in china yeah so even though the it's like the first marvel film with a predominantly asian cast and it had a overwhelmingly positive reaction from asian communities it's still banned from screening in china um so a little bit backstory on china they strictly censor their movies and the number of foreign releases each year um they limit all of that so when they were asked why Shang-Chi hasn't been released in China yet, the, the department that regulates the f- country's film and TV industry didn't even comment on it. Um, but a lot of people have pointed to the rising tensions between the US and China and also China's rising nationalism. Um, and then they also point to the character's racist comic book history, which had tons of racist stereotypical tropes. Yeah, so even though the characters have been retconned to be more acceptable, there are still a lot of Chinese nationalists and critics who won't accept it. I read somewhere from a Chinese critic who said that Chinese audiences cannot accept that a prejudiced character from 100 years ago is still appearing in a new Marvel film. And Simu Liu has also criticized China on many occasions. He says critics of the character are immature and out of touch in an interview. And he also said that China was a third world country where people were dying of starvation 
when he immigrated to Canada. I know that's tough Yikes. to hear. Um, but but I think that his his comments were taken a little bit out of context and politicized. You know, the same thing happened with Chloe Zhao when an old interview came up from 2013 where she described China as a place where there are lies everywhere. And then the result of that was Nomadland ended up not being uh, released anywhere in China. Wow. Um, and I think probably the same thing is going to happen with The Eternals, right? She's also directing that movie. So, I mean, for me, I think the thing about it is it's pretty tragic because these are actually opportunity opportunities to bridge that cross-cultural gap between China and the West. Like, that's what I thought this movie was supposed to do. So, in the end, I definitely feel like the movie has become politicized because in no way does Shang-Chi offend China. Um, it actually seeks to celebrate it. Censorship. <clears throat> <laughs> you know, I was going to say, um, I think, I feel like Mulan uh, actually ruined it for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Like, can we talk about that? Like, I'm so confused with their stance. Right. I, I honestly, Mulan just completely just tanked in, in China. And I feel like, man, if we had actually released Shang-Chi before Mulan, I think it was I think they were almost going to be released simultaneously, uh, like really close to each other uh, last year. But um, Shang-Chi got pushed out a little more. I think uh, I think basically China was like, Disney, you failed miserably. We're not you're not allowed <laughs> oh, anymore. <laughs> but remember, the actress also, right, had to yeah. say something yeah. about how she like didn't support the protests in Hong Kong or something. Right. So like, it's really strange. It's messy. And I'm like. It sounds like censorship, but, you know. <laughs> there definitely is an aspect of just, um, you know, there's like xenophobia, on, yeah. right? Like, and on both sides, right? So there's there's people on our end who's like really against China. Not, I not, I not say our end, but like Americans and Mer and the government and things like that. And, and then also, but also in the Chinese government as well, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of censorship and things like that as well. So. It is unfortunate China does make up quite a bit of revenue, um, you know, so being able to penetrate that market is something that what every big company corporation is trying to do. I mean, it is because, I mean, when you have literal icons like Tony Leung and Michelle Yu, to be fair, they're from Hong Kong. I, I know that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know there's a difference, but like, I, it, just like what you said, Walden, like missed opportunities and so much misunderstandings, of course. Can't speak for Simulu. I mean, those were his own personal experiences, though. So, like, how can you discount, like, his feelings as a child of immigrants or an immigrant himself? Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I know he said many problematic things. We can yes, handle that later. Um, we talked about that on our podcast, too. But, like, I I just don't know how we can how they can ban um, Song-Chi and not ban, like, Mulan. I, it's weird. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then, unfortunately, I have to end on one last topic before we take off but i wanted to go ahead and know who you guys thought was the mvp of shang chi this sort of refers back to what you said liz a little earlier about the the youth being a very important part of the movie and i'm gonna go with young shang chi so yes. because he had the bra bravery and courage to leave his father probably the scariest man in the world as an Asian person, you know how hard that is. Yes. Um, it was like a tough deci decision to make because he had to leave his sister behind. Also, like his responsibility to carry the family legacy, to go out on his own, which is scary in itself. And I think it's a very familiar situation that a lot of Asian Americans are faced with. 
Um, so, you know, like having to break away from the pressure of your parents and his decision sort of sets the wheel in motion for everything else to happen. Um, I think for me, I'm going to say again, the mom, I think mm. because she was felt throughout the whole movie, like you said, and because she is the literal core and reason why the dad is there going crazy, why the siblings are there, why everyone else is there meeting in Tal- like Talo. It's for me, the mom, um, you know, obviously she had an early departure, but she's so integral to the family. Um, there, there's no Shang-Chi without the mom. Yeah. Um, I think for me, um, obviously I love Shaolin. I love the sister and a bit. Um, I think Munger is just super underrated because she was previously undiscovered, right? Like she did like this, um, tryout clip and like she had to learn how to do Kung Fu. Like I just think she did amazing for a first timer and a previously undiscovered person. I want the mom's backstory, but I, I also hope that like we'll see her again. Um, I think she's, she's great and, and definitely one of the, MVP to really like rise to the challenge. All right. Um, I think the MVP of this film is obviously Tony Young. It was a. Yes. <laughs> I mean, obviously. you can argue with that. I know. He's the, he is uh, the daddy, uh, the daddiest. <laughs> and- <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, and honestly, it was a love letter to him and a well. Well, work, uh, welcome to Hollywood. We just basically rolled out the red carpet for him and said, "Hey, we want you to dominate this space," and and also our hearts. Uh, for sure. <laughs> so, yes, I think he is the MVP. So I, uh, I'm gonna have to end it there, you guys. But anything you guys wanted to add, Monica or Liz? Just one final thought for all of our listeners, uh, viewers. Um, we grew up watching Asian films, and I feel like Americans, non-Asian Americans, need to do better about appreciating film outside of Hollywood, outside of America. Um, go watch those films, dude. America does not have the best movies. Hollywood does not have the best movies. Let me mm-hmm. just put that out there. That's my last. And Liz, I wanted to go ahead and ask you really briefly. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you have going on outside of your podcast right now in Minnesota. Oh, sure, sure. Um, I'm also running for office, no way. but we can talk about that a little bit. I mean, but I can, I can like leave this into kind of something that I thought about and I don't know if you want to delve a little bit more into it, but I think something that we didn't talk about was also just the question about like, um, like resource allocation and right. Cause like the whole thing with Talo, right. Is that they, they're protecting the world from itself and its ills, but also right. Like, um, when we was like, I want to go there because I want the power. Right. And in so many ways, there's also this like environmental message. And, and right, there are these mythical animals that don't exist anywhere else. Um, so, so the tallow is like this preserve for them. And it has this like special resource that like, if you have too much of it, it'll kill you. Like, I, I thought that was like also again, really nice, subtle message. I thought Shang-Chi's very smart film that is not in your face, but when you think about it, mm. lots of very strong themes to pull out. Um, which is why I think maybe I'm the best person to run for office and think about these big questions, right? I will be able to make those decisions. So if you're in Minnesota, consider voting for me. <laughs> Thank you. And where can they be able to learn more about your uh, campaign and maybe even do some donations? Sure. Uh, just LizLee.org. L-I-Z-L-E-E.org. Perfect. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to have to end it there. But thank you so much for joining us. Check out Not Your Average My. And so you can listen to Monica and Liz and co talk more and more about 
amazing things. If you really enjoyed them, make sure to follow them. Thanks, awesome. Guys. Thank you.